Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guests today are Clemens Wessendorf and Simon Zimmermann, co-founders of Untitled Gen, a quantitative investment advisory firm that specializes in digital art. Why do they call themselves quantitative? Because their competitive advantage lies in using AI and machine learning to sift vast quantities of data to help clients build digital art collections that will deliver a sustainable return over time. Simon Clements, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for the invitation. Clements, perhaps I could start with you. What is the opportunity which you saw in the digital art market, by which I mean, what were the missing components that you identified in the way the market, the digital art market works? Right. Um, So the opportunity we saw was to provide more liquidity to the market. So the market has been uh, been building up for quite some time and has experienced a significant boom in, in 2021. Um, and ever since we've uh, we've received so many requests and we've uh, spoken to so many people wanting to participate in that market, but there has always been, as digital art is is, is closely uh, tied to crypto, has always been this barrier of entry. Um, many people have not really felt comfortable in the past uh, setting up crypto wallets, buying crypto, being exposed to volatility. Um, and so we have identified the opportunity of, of closing that gap and making people participate in that market nonetheless. Um, so we were trying really to educate them towards uh, moving to crypto, providing alternatives, uh, saying that they can, they can uh, use stable coins in order to invest in digital art so that it's not, not necessarily uh, so exposed to the volatility of, of, of crypto assets in general. So this is the opportunity we saw, um, and this is why we uh, founded the company Untitled Gen. Mm-hmm. Simon, I, I know you, I know Clemens has a, a background in, in, in fine art. You have a slightly different background. So what was the experience which you had, which tallied so well with what, uh, what Clemens knew about? So what were the experiences, I suppose, which gave you the idea of coming together to start this business? That's actually very interesting because we I'm not born into a family where art is very relevant. Um, so I I remember the first time I went to Tate Modern to see Damien Hirst's retrospective. That was awesome. That was life-changing experience. But I never thought you can make a career out of art. So um, through, very, through a lot of coincidences, I ended up in an art gallery. Like it was a startup that was um, building up an e-commerce model around digital art. And also, sorry, it's very loud. Very sorry. Um, so, and we started being in that company that was selling art online, and they looked for a CTO. And so I approached them um, because I knew the gallery and wanted to work there. And my background is totally in machine learning and, and data, big data, data scraping. And previously, I worked in, a, in the field of uh, cancer research. And I met Clemens, and we basically fell in love together because we worked quite well together. And we said, okay, there is a huge opportunity in the digital art market. People need to participate. People want to participate. And that's why we brainstormed of what we could do. And basically, people came to us telling us what we should do. 
because it was not that we actually thought about that's a great idea to do this or that. So basically they asked us what they wanted. So it's a very fortunate position that we've been in. And that's why we started uh, Untitled Gen. And since then we are working on data and digital art and making it more accessible to people. Simon, as, as you pointed out, you have this background in, in machine learning. That's obviously very helpful in ingesting and analyzing and processing large quantities of, of data. But two things. One is what type of data are you looking at? And secondly, what is the data telling you about what's happening in the digital art market? Basically, it's telling you everything, which is quite new. So that was actually also what stroked me into that area because um, I, I spend a lot of time in my career predicting good investment opportunities in the private equity sector, but also in algorithmic trading. And there are these monumental firms like Citadel or Renaissance Capital that always have the edge through computing power or through the data that they were gathering. James Simons gathered a vast amount of data. He has basically the best database in the world and that's why he has this competitive edge. And while the NFTs became more popular and digital art became a thing, I wondered like, what is why is it not adopted that well? And it is because there is so much data that people get overwhelmed and it's quite hard to enter. And the next thing that, I, that we thought about was like, okay, all the data is in the blockchain. And from a technical standpoint, um, for me, it's not very important whether we analyze cancel data or we analyze NFT data, it's the same methodology. So we basically, the first thing we did is like, okay, what type of data could we gather? And we could gather everything, like who is investing in what? How successful are they investing in terms of return? Also, what, what is the interest of specific big players in the market? Where could they move in the future? And also what's super important is what is actually going in a collection of assets? What is actually the trading volume and who is actively participating and who's backing up, is, is stepping back. So for example, we can see if, for example, let's call it smart money is entering or if not so smart money is entering, which is of course a great indicator. And imagine having that in the algorithmic trading world, that would be immense, but it's not that easy to get it because uh, different exchanges don't share their data. So actually, we, I imagine our product a little bit like an X-ray scanner of the body just for the market. We can see everything. And, with a and in real time, the only complexity is, of course, that if you can see everything, what do you look at? Right. So if I was to summarize what, what you're saying there is that in uh, any investment market, information can be translated into money, into value. And in the case of the NFT market, the, the data is being created, a, a data exhaust. It's also intrinsic, obviously, to NFTs, but there is this, it is generating data. And it's all sitting on a blockchain, but nobody was looking at it. But I, I have a particular question for you about this. If I look back to the NFT boom in 2021 or 2022, whenever it was, um, it's left a, a reputational stain on the market of some sort. People... Uh, at the time, we're talking openly about it as a money laundering scam that uh, gangsters were, you know, writing squiggles and putting them up on uh, on auction platforms and laundering their money that way. So what do you say to those people who 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 insist that the NFT market is is not actually a genuine market at all, but it's just a money laundering scam and it uh, deserves to, to disappear? What do you say so to them? 
my first reaction would be to get them into a museum to actually see an NFT in a museum because the people in the museums, they don't launder money. Of course, there has been the issue. Um, that was in the peak bull market, we could see in the data that a lot of people were doing that, like accumulating assets, selling them through intermediaries. Um, and the good thing about that is that early on, people became aware of that problem. So there are a lot of techniques now to um, get out the so-called wash trading of your data. So we can actually see when people are trying to scam the market. For example, if they try to sell an asset to a friend to like increase the prices, we are now able to detect that. And of course, the market itself has to become more grown up. Like people need to um, understand that actual investors are entering, hedge fund managers that are doing it privately now and buying big NFT collection, but also a lot of people who are collecting art. And you would be amazed how often you can actually tell who's buying what. So you actually just have a, 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 a wallet address where you can see who bought the asset. But in the end, you can infer a lot from that. For example, the, the entire space is interconnected within Twitter or and now so-called X. And you can see who's buying what and people are, they like to share it. My best example was when the goose was um, bought from Sotheby auctioned at Sotheby's. Um, the guy who actually bought it, which is completely anonymous, usually you don't know who's buying it. He went on Discord and said, oof, I just bought it, probably I'm broke now. Um, and he was interacting with the community. So there is a lot of transparency if you are within the space. But from outside, I can tell that because it's so easy to launder money and there are people suspect that a lot of money laundering is going on. But in the data, we can see that wash trading actually de decreased over the last couple of months. So the data, in fact, is another illustration of sunshine being the best disinfectant. Uh, you can see what's <laughs> going on. But, um, but, but can I ask a technical question now? How, do you, how are you actually collecting this data? Where are you getting it from? How are you analyzing it? So where we're getting it from is we basically get it from everywhere where it's possible to get data. It's not only on chain. So for example, we also look at uh, sentiment data, which can be collected over the entire internet. Of course, there is a limitation that we are not allowed to scrape every, every single data source that is out there. But um, we, you can go quite far with what kind of sentiment you get from Twitter, from the Twitter API and from Discord itself. But our like the vast amount of data that we have comes from on-chain data. So for example, there are providers like Alchemy that allow you to interact with a node on the blockchain to actually get the data. And we are um, working together with them to get um, the data via API, but also there is a lot of aggregation in there. Imagine you get the transaction log of an asset, then you can, for example, see who bought what at what time. But the step to actually understand what this wallet address did before and aggregating is actually the complexity. So we get our data on chain from these API providers and also from the entire internet. And what's also interesting is that you can use classical financial data to uh, correlate to um, the NFT market. For example, what I was quite surprised of is that you can see in uh, interest rates, you can actually see how the market is going with the intraday volatility of interest rates. So it's, uh, it's interesting how the correlation evolved over time and we can detect that in our data. And what are the obstacles you face to, to gathering and aggregating the obstacles, data sources? 
Yeah, so the obstacles are basically the vast amount of data. So um, if I wake up, I usually have like 500 gigabytes more of data on the servers and you need to be sure to only keep the data that is relevant. So due to the high volume and complexity of the data, it is very important to have these, these checks, like that you make sure that you calculate the same KPI the same way all the time. So at that point, I'm very happy about the experience I had in, in consulting before, because it's quite similar on how like huge ERP systems work. You have to make sure your data is 100% correct. You need to build the pipelines. You need to stream the data. Also, you need to make sure that if you use API providers, that you don't ask for the same data all the time. But it's a classical mistake we also made at the beginning. For example, asking for the same data from the data provider on a minutely basis, which gets very expensive uh, from time to time. So the biggest obstacle for us is actually like making sure that we manage the data in the right way, which is a task on its own. And you could probably write three books about how to properly manage data, and people have done that. Clemens, as Simon has just said, there's a vast volume of, of data out there. Trying to find what is relevant is like looking for the proverbial needle in the haystack. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I, in this conversation, we've also assumed as if it's very obvious what we're talking about here in terms of the digital art, mm -hmm. all the NFTs mm -hmm. and so on. My, my question mm -hmm. is, uh, am, I, am I focusing our conversation too narrowly by referring to NFTs? Is your definition of digital art much wider than that, wider than NFTs? It's a very interesting question and also a hot topic of discussion in, in that particular space. Um, I would say that the umbrella term for what we're operating in are NFTs. Even though NFTs was basically the technology, the underlying technology, um, but everything is at the end of the day related and connected to that NFT technology. Um, but within or under that umbrella, you have very different um, markets and very different products and also niches and uh, digital art covers basically to us the fine art aspect of that market. So artists that are purely and solely focused on a discussion and a conversation with ongoing social situations or are in conversation with um, what's happening in the world and then essentially depicting that through code or through an output, let it be a photography or let it be an algorithm that runs a specific output. Um, so to us, digital art really is about the artist and someone who takes art as seriously as possible. Um, it's, it's not so much linked to community projects. It's not so much linked to utility projects. These are to us different, different kinds of projects. Um, and so we really look at, okay, is, is, is the artist someone who, who, who comes from a, from a fine art background or is developing towards a fine art background? Um, is he looking at exhibiting and, and, and showcasing his or her work? So these are factors that are very important to us. And so we believe that it's very important to distinguish between digital art um, and NFTs or profile picture art, which is which is another niche of, of that specific market. 
Um, and there's also generative art. There's AI art now as well, um, which has been popular over the past couple of months. Of course, that is, that is purely uh, machine produced at the end of the day, whereas digital art could also be a photography that's, that's been taken in the real world and then connected to a token. Um, but our focus really is with, uh, with fine art. This is also where we come from. This is essentially my background, um, having worked at, at uh, many different contemporary art galleries. And we believe that real value in this space lies in digital art as we define it. Because no matter if, if art is physical or digital, it is about the idea and the concept that the artist is trying to communicate to its or to their viewers and collectors. And so this is where the, the real value lies into us. Um, and this is why we're focusing on, on building digital art collections and bringing capital into digital art pieces. Simon, you just heard uh, Clemens, one of the things he said was that in art, as in nature, everything is related to everything else. And ultimately, what you're what you're really focused on is is finding that artist who might choose to express his art in the form of an NFT, but it might also be computer generated. It might be uh, a, a photograph, uh, which prompts a thought in my mind about about the data that you're you're looking for. You touched on this earlier. You said you're looking for market sentiment data. You're basically roaming the entire internet looking for things which might tell you or your clients something useful. So am I right to think you're not focused exclusively on this blockchain data? You're actually looking to, in a sense, enrich the, the, the core data, your equivalent of the artist, which Clemens is looking for, by integrating information from lots of, of other sources. Have I understood that correctly? Yes, definitely. So basically everything that gives some information about the artwork itself can be used. And of course, if you look at the traditional art market, how does it, how did the world actually behave before digital art? And I was, to be honest, the first time I entered into a gallery quite shocked because it's a very manual process how everything works. And it is all about how to find people who are willing to pay more than 500,000 euros for an artwork. And the, the space is quite small. There are not too many people out there who can afford this type of art. So in the end, what happens is that the information is still shared within that community, but you as a normal person, you're not allowed to, uh, or you don't have the chance to understand what's going on. And you just see everything in the news outlets. So for example, in traditional, in the tr traditional artwork, art world, it's not that common to collect data on art. There is in Berlin, there are a couple of firms that are trying to do that, but actually it's tough because the communication happens offline. And the thing that actually changed was that the communication is now online. So everything where there is communication about art, about the artworks is relevant to us. So we try to aggregate as much data as possible as we can get, and then later on find um, what works or what doesn't work. And it's super interesting because the, the, the way that we're trying to do that mathematically is also very common to the biological approaches. So the, the problem is actually quite the same. So imagine a very like simple example. You have a lot of genes and you try to find out which gene has an impact on something. We have a lot of data, for example, a lot of Twitter spaces that we're following, recording the data and 
seeing what people are talking or the tweets or the news. And we try to find out what is actually relevant. And to us, it could also be, for example, where is the artwork ex exposed? So if an artwork is in a news outlet on the, on the top page of a big magazine, that's information that is valuable. And in the traditional art world, people actually do the same thing. So we're trying to actually build a digital form of an art advisor because art advisors, that's exactly what they do. They go to Art Basel, see what's on the cover of the Art, uh, art Basel brochure is the New York Times <coughs> right about that artist. And so the steps that we're taking is, are quite similar to the, to the steps that the traditional art consultant would do, but we do it at a much bigger scale. So to answer your question, we are looking at so many different types of data that we currently have around 5,000 covariates that we are scraping out, out of the internet. And it's not only blockchain data. Blockchain data was a starting point, but we've seen the immense potential outside of the blockchain data. Hammonds, listening to, to Simon talk, I'm getting a sense of how difficult it is to, to find those little nuggets of information of data which affect value in the, in the digital art market. Does it, I don't know how this feels from your point of view, but do you, your own background is very different from his. Do, do you feel you're running an investment advisory business here or are you running a, a data business or are you running both of those things? We are running both of these things essentially. Um, it's, it's very interesting to look at it from, from the investment angle or perspective because fine art has over the past couple of, of decades has really evolved into something uh, or into, into a market that um, has attracted a lot of capital. Um, it has been a great investment over time, um, but, but if, you, if you compare nowadays to the 90s, it's a totally different market. In the 90s or in the 80s, people were a small circle of collectors and, and individuals uh, was, was, well, you could say crazy enough to just look for beautiful art across the world, uh, buy art, live with art, collect art, and really have this sort of cold surrounded uh, or surrounding art. Um, but over time, as so much capital has entered the art market um, and it has proven to be a, a strong investment over time, um, many people are really focused on this part of the market. Um, and in NFTs, we have this, or we have seen this exact same pattern, but so much more quickly and rapidly. So basically from day one in NFTs, it was a lot of speculation involved. There was a lot of capital that was brought into the space and people loved also this idea of, of being able to liquidate and trade um, and buy and sell in an instant, having everything ready, being able to react quickly. Um, and so it kind of, it's kind of part of the nature of, of NFTs and digital art and this entire market um, that companies operating within that market oftentimes focus on investment, yes. And so I would say we are definitely on, on the one hand an investment company because we're also looking for capital and we're, we're trying to guide people um, within the space and show them opportunities. And I believe that today assets or collectibles um, and artworks are closely tied to investments. Um, and so we are somewhere in between an investment company 
an art advisory, as Simon just just mentioned, um, and and a data company because we are also data providers and we also offer services um, that are closely related to to uh, providing data. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as you've just explained, the art market is maturing. It maybe once was dominated by a group of connoisseurs who yes. acted on behalf of a bunch of rich people who wanted to buy beautiful <laughs> objects. You're now seeing, you know, institutional money come into this marketplace as well. So who is your, who is your um, service aimed at? Is it aimed at those old fashioned connoisseurs, rich people, or is it aimed at institutional money or is it aimed at both? Who's, who's your target audience here? It is, it is definitely aimed at both. Um, we are still trying to, convince and, and, and persuade the, the old collectors of this new medium. It always takes time. It's always a process to make people appreciate um, art in general, but, but especially new forms of art or new, new media of art. And so this is a, this is a strong process, whereas uh, or also a difficult process sometimes. Um, they like it, but, but they're oftentimes still hesitant. But they are definitely also our, our target customer because they have already established over over some time beautiful art collections, and to us, digital art is just a continuation of of contemporary art. So it's it's although it's a new market, um, at its core, it is it is art, and it is it is artworks that are being produced, and they make beautiful additions to uh, established physical or or traditional art collections. Mm -hmm. um, so this is definitely something we are focusing on. Um, we are well. This, of course, involves a lot of education. It, it involves a lot of uh, a lot of providing information to the clients, showing them a lot of works, introducing them to the artists, and and really making them appreciate what the artists are are doing in this digital space. Um, but at the same time, you have institutional money. You have institutional investors, or you might have angel investors who who just want to participate in this in this digital realm or, or in this new up-and-coming asset class uh, which which can be seen as digital assets as as a broader term um, digital art is is part of that um, we also look at the at the broader digital asset market because there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting uh, there are a lot of different interesting developments happening within that market um, so yeah, we're we're basically focused on on angel investors. We're focused on institutions. We are also focused on museums, um, and and as I said, on established old maybe old money collectors. Uh, so we are very open in that regard, and uh, we have uh, well tailored services uh, to each of them because this is something that is very important to us, uh, especially in art. People have different different experiences, they have different tastes and preferences. Mm -hmm. And we believe in order to provide an amazing service, we have to tailor our solutions to the specific needs of our clients. Let it be um, an old collector or a new institution that is trying to get their foot into, into this uh, new asset class. You haven't mentioned uh, art investment funds. These, these do exist. We've interviewed at least one on this uh, on this show, as it were, are investment funds, art investment funds, a target for you? They definitely are. Yeah, um, they oftentimes have curators on board already, so they oftentimes have um, individuals that they are working with that provide selections or, or or a selection of artworks that might be interesting for the fund to acquire. 
but um, we do have this competitive edge to, to just being the collector, sorry, the, the curator, we have the data. So we have the algorithms. Um, and so oftentimes a curator uh, is very sure of, of, of what he would like to do from, an, from, an, from a conceptual point of view or you know, from, the, from the artistic side. But if, if there is serious money involved, people like to have data backing that up. Um, and so we have, we have found ourselves in conversations where uh, a fund or, or a private individual wanted expertise in one of the two areas. So they said, okay, I, I, I really need curation. I really need to know what's out there. I really need an analysis of, of uh, the art itself, of, of, of the artist's oeuvre, of, of what the artist has, has done uh, over his career, or they needed the data to make sure that, that the, di the direction they, they, they are going into or we're going into is, is the right one. Um, so yeah, definitely part of our target group. Um, and it always depends on, on, on what they're looking for. At the end of the day, we are just trying to, or our mission is to foster a greater appreciation for, for digital art in general um, and digital assets as, as a broader term. Um, and whatever helps us uh, achieve that goal, we're happy to, uh, to do. You've mentioned private collectors, you've mentioned museums, uh, both of which will be familiar with working with the auction houses. Uh, do you work with the auction houses, whether you do now or not? How would you work with the with the auction houses? <clears throat> um, that is something that's been changing. Uh, interestingly, uh, auction houses have their role has changed, or is is at the moment changing. In fact, um, traditionally, auction houses have provided the secondary market for for artworks. Yeah. Nowadays, you have the secondary market available 24-7 on OpenSea, on Blur, on, on other platforms also. Um, so there is no, no need for the auction house to really take on that role in, in the digital art market because uh, it's, it's basically been covered, it's been uh, automated, it's been uh, digitalized. But at the same time, they do have a certain brand, they do have wonderful connections, and they do kind of like have have a similar role to what we are trying to 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 do here as well they have clients that they are onboarding onto this new space so they are providing them with information they are closing this this gap of of well being hesitant to to participating in a market by by well steadily step by step um helping them understand while at the same time they of course don't want to miss out on on, on opportunities um, and thus they have uh, turned to being primary market sellers in in recent times also so we've seen Sotheby's one of the most prestigious auction houses in the world uh, releasing a, a project with, with Vera Molina she's a well, 99 year old artist um, uh, and, and and they have just released a beautiful series of works on Sotheby's primary market. Um, it was it was her first ever NFT project, but 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 she has she has worked with digital art for for a long time, and she has used certain tools. Um, although the outputs were, or you know the, the objects were physical at the end of the day, the works. But um, she has used certain tools to achieve these outputs. Um, but so Sotheby's has taken on a new role. Christie's as well. They have all launched. Um, they have launched uh, digital art or, or NFT platforms um, with, with the goal to uh, 
enable artists to work with them and, and, and release works through them. So auction houses are part of the market, a substantial part of the market with a great network and a great branding. And so they are trying to leverage all of that branching into this new market. And so far they've done a great job. Um, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to all the projects they are going to realize. Um, but also, uh, important to say they take on collections as a whole and perform their traditional business model and task as an auction house so uh, a great example is um, three arrow capital a, a, a crypto hedge fund uh, that went bankrupt i believe about a year ago um, and they had a significant collection of, of digital artworks and so Sotheby's um, in the process of, of, of liquidation of, of, of the assets of, of, of 3AC, the company, Sotheby's took on, on that collection and has offered, Simon mentioned the goose already a, a couple of minutes ago, uh, offered these works for sale in, uh, well, traditional auctions that they have hosted. Uh, let it be a digital art only auction or even mixed with traditional, tradition, traditional art pieces from the contemporary art world. Um, so yeah, they are very important and, um, their role is changing. Mm -hmm. Simon, physical art, one of the requirements is that it be kept safely. And, uh, Clemens just mentioned Three Arrows digital art collection. Uh, luckily that was still obviously kept safely somewhere. The, the, the asset was protected. And this is a problem which has emerged with digital assets because they have the same uh, physical security requirement or security requirements as uh, as physical oh. art but they present that in a in a very different way most famously with the the private keys um so how important have you found uh providing a convincing safekeeping or custody service is to attracting institutional money into this market i know it's not your core business but i'd be interested to know how important custody is to institutional investors in digital art? To me, custody is the most important thing. It's pro probably not the most interesting thing uh, compared to building learning algorithms, but it is the most important thing because in the end, you don't have like you don't have access to anything if you lose your private keys. So and you have to make sure that you keep them. Like there is no there is no way around it. And in the beginning of crypto, there were a lot of stories where people lost their keys and we all know the people like searching on dumpsters for their uh, for their private keys, but that has changed a lot. So now there are a couple of tools that make it relatively easy to store private keys safely, but I advise everybody to really think about how to actually manage their digital assets. And we actually anticipate that there will be a lot of solutions. We're talking to people that are actually building solutions that will make it easier because in my opinion, I'm always quite sad if I look at um, the crypto space in general, how far it has advanced, but like the tools that we were using are the same tools we used two or three years ago to actually manage our assets. And they are not user-friendly at all. Um, imagine being a collector who is probably very successful and works a lot because he can afford buy it, to buy digital art at a large scale. He doesn't want to bother about his private keys. He doesn't want to 
actually have a ledger somewhere that he has to manage. And if, if he wants to approve a transaction, you don't want to plug it in. Unfortunately, the situation currently is that for people, there is no way around that. So we try our best to help our clients to actually tackle these problems. But um, in the end, we do not want to have their private keys. We are not legally allowed to do it, but there are ways to actually do custody without getting access to the private keys. But I think that's an area where we will see a lot of development. And we have not seen the development that I have expected, but I'm quite sure in two or three years, the mass adoption of crypto can be there if somebody builds a tool that is actually user-friendly, where it don't have to... Uh, take my private keys from A to B or like imagine moving with a lot of private keys that is also a big problem and life is sometimes complex but you need to build tools that make it simple so custody is for us super important and we work with companies together that help us manage the, the relationship to our clients but in the end um, we we see that there will be a huge change once good tools will be out there but currently it is a pain but we are helping our clients to actually participate it's a big hurdle but i'm sure in the future it will not be there anymore clemens you you pointed out a a few minutes ago that the the end of what you're doing here the the data the advice is, is the means, but the end here is, is the artist. That's where value really lies. That's kind of what you're looking for. So what do digital artists gain from what you're building here? Well, for the most part, uh, we provide liquidity to the market um, and that's what's most required and needed right now, especially uh, in, in a crypto, so-called crypto winter, crypto bear market, uh, Everyone has has uh, heard of the developments, um, and right now it's important to provide capital and, and uh, uh, yeah, in general, just capital to the market so artists can work, can realize their projects, um, can keep going, can keep pushing. So uh, this is probably the best service we can offer to to these artists right now. Um, at the same time, uh, by by making individuals or institutions build private digital art collections, we make sure that their works end up in the best hands um, because it's always very important to artists to know where where their works are going. Um, of course, you, 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 eh, you can't really, really track and trace that um, from, from the artist's perspective uh, because oftentimes there's an anonymous wallet purchasing uh, the, the piece. However, we know that we we uh, we have amazing clients um, which are turning into amazing collectors, and so uh, the artists uh, can know their works in the very best hands. So the artist does get the benefit of of a liquid market, but doesn't necessarily get that benefit which we heard so much about when uh, NFTs first came along. That the artist retain an interest, if you like, in secondary tertiary levels mm. into the future. That That's a, an idea which has not been translated into reality. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct, unfortunately, I must say. Um, but 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 as as trading became more and more popular and, and uh, competition, especially amongst the platforms, uh, has, has, has come up, um, 
they were just undercutting the royalties uh, to you know be able to make more efficient transactions to be more efficient uh, traders and offer better trade, trading services because they were or still are the liquidity providers to this market. Um, and so, yeah, unfortunately, there has been a development in which uh, artist royalties have been cut out entirely or cut down. So one of, one of the most prominent platforms for buying and selling, i.e. trading digital assets or digital art, uh, especially is Blur, Blur.io. Um, and they have, uh, well, they're not enforcing royalties anymore, um, with one exception that, that uh, if it's written into the, into the smart contract by the artist, uh, you cannot find a way around that. But, but many works and, and many collections have not had that in the past. And so, uh, well, they don't have to enforce the royalties on it. Um, and oftentimes, if they do, uh, they say that... Um, the the necessary um, royalty standard for them to to enforce is zero point five percent, which is definitely not sustainable uh, in the long run for for these artists. Um, yeah, so that is correct, and uh, a development we don't necessarily like to see. Um, it has, of course, advantages from from the perspective of trading assets. Um, but the artists definitely uh, are struggling um, because of that development. Okay, so the artists aren't always getting paid in, in quite the way that they were led to expect. But how are you getting paid? You're, you're obviously not running this as a, a, a as a charity. This is this is a business. Have you worked out yet what your what your revenue model is? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so we have a well. It's it's kind of like a like a the the, the classic classical hedge fund model where you have a performance fee on, on the, per, the performance you have made um, and also a consulting fee, a fixed fee. Um, and, but of course, it also depends on the service we're offering. So if it's really about um, researching the market um, and providing recommendations to someone who would like to start or um, extend their digital art collection, we charge a fee based on the volume that the client is uh, providing and that is being managed by or through us. Um, and on the other hand, of course, if he just wants to have certain recommendations without us getting actively involved in the process of managing the assets, um, we charge a consulting fee um, and that's the model we have for these two services. Simon can maybe elaborate on, on data insights and data services, but uh, this, is, uh, this is how we uh, charge for our services. Uh, yeah. Of course, I'm happy to do that, yeah. So it's always hard to uh, actually quantify how much you pay for the data. So we, I would say we are quite generous when it comes to questions that uh, need to be answered. If we are also interested in that, we are, happily, we are happy to provide the data against a small fee and work together with the partners. But in general, a lot, what we've seen is that there is a lot of interest, especially in big collectors, that they want to get some kind of reporting out of um, out of the market, which is actually quite challenging, um, which is quite unfortunate. And I actually did not expect that to be that worse. But even if you just want to know how much is your portfolio worth, 
there is a problem of every illiquid um, market or partly illiquid market is that you you don't know what is the right reference price. And so people come to us and say, hmm, I have an, a digital artwork that costs 500,000 euros. When I purchased it, how much is it worth now? There has not been a transaction with it for over a year. How do we actually value that? And we also help um, to do that and get the reporting going. So um, sometimes it's, it's from time to time, it feels very funny to be in a market that is that young if you compare it to other, for example, the private equity market where problems like that, they don't arise. Like you, you know how to value, you go to Deloitte, you go to EY or whoever and ask them how much is my company worth. And um, due to it being a new space, um, we always help there because our mission is to onboard more people into that exciting space. Yes. Now, as you say, it's it's a very young, immature market. Uh, crypto markets in general are, are young and immature, but one thing that's clearly going to happen to it over the next few years is it's going to get regulated. Are you looking to get regulated as a business? And if you are looking to get regulated, who's going to regulate you and how are they going to regulate you? What are they going to regulate you for? Sorry. Yeah. For, for us, it's super important to get, get regulated. We really appreciate more clarity within the space because as founders, um, we do not really appreciate a lot of uncertainty. So uh, founding a business is very uncertain in general, but uh, you don't want to have regulatory uncertainty. So we are closely working together with a lot of lawyers. For example, when we started the business, if you would have asked me whether our biggest um, spend of money is tech or lawyers, I would have said 100% tech, but uh, it is not apparently, because um, <laughs> as, it is a, um, as it is a very young market, like you, a lot of people really don't know what to do. They need guidance from lawyers and we did it as well. And we are in touch with Bafin because we are a Berlin-based company uh, regulated under German law. And we need to make sure that everything we do is regulated and we are doing it constantly. But unfortunately, from time to time, the questions you ask to Bafin or the regulator, they're very specific. So they really need to understand in deep what's happening here. So it is a back and forth with conversations, but we are um, currently the legal status is that digital art is art and not a financial instrument. And that's why it is not regulated under the law of uh, financial instruments. This might have well changed um, at some point and we are prepared for it. But currently, um, we are still working together with the financial regulator to make sure that we are 100% compliant in what we do. Clemens, as uh, Simon has said, um, lawyers are very expensive. Uh, tech is probably not that <laughs> they are. either. <laughs> so uh, are, you, are you looking for external funding? We're not looking for funding into our company, so not, not looking for funding uh, into Untitled Gen, but we are of course always looking for individuals who are passionate about uh, digital assets, um, also about art and are willing and happy to pursue new new routes and, and, and try, testing new waters. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so we would love for everyone to uh, to check out um, this exciting new new market um, and, and get in touch or, or starting to get in touch with what digital art has to offer and that there is uh there's a an amazing quality within the pieces um that are being released um and yeah so we're definitely looking for 
for capital, we're looking for interested individuals, but not for direct funding at the moment. Right. And this is one of the ways in which this digital art market is different, or at least becoming different, because you've got this group of individuals who are passionate about art, want to get involved in it, but then you've also got this institutional money uh, mm -hmm. coming in as well. And Simon was was talking there about the difficulty which the German regulators have. You know, is this is this mm -hmm. is this art or is this an investment? Is this a financial instrument or mm -hmm. is it something different? Um, a measure of how immature things are. So, uh, fr from where you sit, uh, Clemens, where do you perceive digital art within the the spectrum, if you like, of, of digital assets? Do you mm -hmm. see it more as a financial instrument, less as a as a work of fine art? Where, what's what's your where do you see the instruments you're advising on sit within this very extensive digital asset mm -hmm. landscape again this this comes down to the definition of um what we're looking at here um this comes down to the difference of nfts to digital art to generative art and and, and to the different um media uh, within this market um, however i do believe that digital art is at the forefront of digital assets because it is uh, an amazing use case. Um, it has a huge community behind it. Um, it is highly interesting and also addictive to look at these these amazing uh, artworks um, and just observing the the dynamics of, of this specific market. However, I do believe that this is just the beginning. I do believe that art is, as I said, at the forefront. And for the first time in, in actually the history of art, art has been at a technological forefront. So art really has opened that door uh, to this technology, which is quite fascinating. If you if you look at the history of art, art has always been has been laid to to uh, developments in society and has depicted those developments. So it, it, it digested what what has happened or is happening and then presented this um, in, a, in a discourse to, to the viewers um, or to the collectors. Uh, but now it's at the forefront of, of, of a new technology and this digital realm. And we do believe that digital assets will play a crucial role in the future of assets in general. Um, and we also do believe that content will in the future have uh, a different role than it has nowadays. Um, so there are many many different um, aspects to digital assets um, of course you have coins also you have the currencies but but we believe that there are so many more things that are coming up in this exciting realm but we are super proud that art uh, is, is so early on and at the forefront of, of, of what's to come mm -hmm. it's a good point that i guess that the uh, our stone age ancestors drawing bisons on the walls of the cave by the flickering light of the fire needed technology uh, as well as the imagination to to conceive a, exactly. uh, a bison in the abstract yeah that's a good point um yeah. last, let me, uh, well i don't know comment on that but i was, was going to put a last question to to simon um simon ai roaming through rummaging through large piles of data is often described as a as a prediction machine uh what are your predictions for the development of the digital art market um i don't know over the next year five years ten years whatever time scale you you think is reasonable what are your predictions yeah. 
My predictions, <clears throat> we all, always in our company, we have the predictions of our algorithms and then we have our own predictions. So if you ask me from a, as, as Simon, I would say what I'm most excited about is like artists doing meaningful work and putting it on the chain. And my prediction from, as, from a personal perspective is that this is getting increasingly stronger and stronger. So a lot of good artists that are producing relevant works are coming there. And I see that being the key driver of the market in the future. Also, what is coming, what we can see is that a lot of museums are getting uh, touch points, NFTs and, buy, and putting digital art actually in the museum where art actually has to be, not only as a collector's place, but also in the museum for people like me when I didn't have any exposure to art to actually experience Tate Modern firsthand, go there and getting excited. And that's my prediction for the digital art market personally. If you look at the data, you can see that um, after the, the hype, um, there was a phase where a lot of capital um, was quite hesitant. But now we can actually see that a lot of new capital is coming in, but not in not from investors that are first-time investors, but from investors that are very eager to participate in that market because they will believe that they believe that digital assets will be the most important asset class in the future or the most exciting one at least. Mm -hmm. And so what I believe from the data is that we can see with every drop that has success, for example, the auction at Sotheby's, we can see that there have been movements in the market from these key milestones. And I believe that these key events will actually um, lead to it being becoming more and more an asset class. Because for me, it is the most interesting thing about it is from an economic perspective, you're acting in a completely transparent market where everybody has the same information. There is no, you, you cannot really get um, a more transparent market than that because every transaction is locked. You can see every transaction. And so I think that people in the future will appreciate that even more and enter the market. And in the next one and a half years, I see a lot of institutional money coming in because um, this is an asset class that is untapped. And currently there are a lot of first movers that are entering that are very um, new and excited about it. And I think institutional money will come in the future, like big funds entering the space and getting a, an exposure to digital assets in general. And what I'm also personally excited for in the future is when digital assets are getting more common because our technology can actually be plugged into any digital asset. So we can, we really, do not have a problem if somebody would release a digital asset that has nothing to do with digital art to actually analyze it. And I'm also looking forward to that. When there are real use cases of digital assets in the world, a lot of people onboarded onto digital assets and providing even more liquidity to the market, because then the asset class will, of course, be much more relevant than it is today. But in general, I couldn't be happier to work in this space. And uh, my predictions are, uh, hopefully going to be true in the future. We will all see it. I would like to add that um, time will show that digital art is so much more than just an art movement. Um, it really has created uh, an entirely new market, an entirely new dynamic. Um, and this is why I'm so excited to see what's, what's in place uh, for, for digital art and digital assets also in the future. 
it's new in itself and it's new to the art market because it is transparent, it is liquid and it is accessible. So this is something genuinely new on, on more than one count. Uh, Amazing it's great, summary. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, really, that's really nailed it, yeah. It's been a very interesting, fascinating conversation. Uh, I'd like to thank you both, Clemens uh, Bessendorf and Simon Zimmerman for taking the time to uh, share your experience, your knowledge, your insights with the members of Future of Finance. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dominic. Thank you.